0: of the world is (laughs) left-handed. Nobody knows why. Some scientists feel that the tendency is inherited. Others believe that the environment plays a role. And so tonight, we are going to salute all the left-handed people, all of those poor people who write real bad. I mean, all left-handers have a bad handwriting. You know, so they all write like a, you know they're coming in from left field someplace? Yeah, that's right. It's terrible. And they look ugly when they write. I don't know why that is. Oh, I can't stand left-handed people. Ah! I, you know, what are you going to do? I, I even know a guy who uh, married one. His left handed is sickening. sickening. Bring it up. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, you notice what a terrible person I am? What the fuck? Tonight's program will relate, among other things, a very sickening story, so I suggest you better tune on down a dial where things are a little cooler. Quack, 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 you think you heard everything, huh? Mm-hmm. It's first time you heard a dirty story told by a mallard to a teal duck. That was a dirty story. And I got away with it on the radio. Of course, you're going to know how to talk duck. what? Some words just... We just got no parallel. I mean, that's the trouble with English. It's so limited... In fact, that's the trouble with all languages. They are definitely limited. And so times come when you have to say something, you have to borrow from another language, which says things that your language don't. Of course, their language lacks things that ours have got, right? Quack, quack, quack. You have to just do the best you can. I'm about to tell you a sickening story. Just thought I'd work into it gradually, there so your feet wouldn't get wet and your knees wouldn't hurt. I'm sitting in a restaurant. Okay? And uh, I'm with this chick, and it's a very impressive restaurant. It's one of the best restaurants in New York. Beautiful restaurant. And I've been figuring, uh, you know, for a couple of days, I want to take this person to this uh, really groovy, great, expensive, gourmet restaurant. And so now we are in the restaurant. That little candlelight going there, and the waiter. This waiter, and he was Jacques, and he was very uh, well. The word is verminous, and uh, he comes over. We will you care for the wine, and of course, Simon. Of course, I like to use French when I'm in a French restaurant. I said, "Of course, Simon, Jacques." So, we oui, monsieur. And he comes back with the wine list, and I'm playing it up big. See, I'm I'm all dressed up. I'm wearing my uh, Robert Hall suit, my Italian. Tony Martin models, terrific, you know, it's got the roll collar with the pearl buttons that light up, it just, looks, yeah, with the pinstripe and everything, and I've got my Tom McCann shoes on, everything, I'm dressed right up, even got a new pair of jockey shorts, and so I'm, you know, we're going all the way tonight, and uh, Jacques comes over, would you care for see wine list? I said, uh, of course, i more Jacques, indeed Simon. am and uh, he brings the wine list, and I look at it, and it's all written in you know this funny language. So uh, I, I said, uh, "What is this, uh, Jacques? If you don't mind, the young lady here, she does not speak the la française." And he said, "Oh, we oui, monsieur. Of course we speak English." I said, "Of course, Simon. Uh What is this uh, wine? Is uh, this uh, this? Uh, what is this one here? Is this uh, Asacion de la Sec Chateau Roussac? He said, oh, very good, very good. Seventeen bottles, $17 a bottle in 1927. I said, very good. You know, he's the only waiter I ever met, you know, who speaks the strong, tremendous, beautiful uh, Normandy French with a strong Fordham Road accent. And so, uh, very strong. And so uh, he brings the wine. I'm playing it up big, and I've got this little pot over here with the the ice and the wine bottles floating in it. And so, he now gives us the menu, and I look at the menu, and uh, I look down the list, and I said, "The whole about the coca uh hmm, cavaan, ah, goodimo, excellente Uh is huh?" And Jacques says, "Oh, very good tonight, monsieur," and of course the chick is fantastically impressed by my uh, continental. Savoy Fairy. Very, very impressed. And so uh, I began to play it a little bit bigger. I said, uh, Wait, You want to hear the rest of the story? Very good. So I, <laughs> I said, uh, I'll have the coconut. Uh, and uh, the. No, that's uh, German. Uh, I'll have the coconut. Coconut. And uh, I will have. Uh, Ooh, la, la. Uh, you have the petit pois? Monsieur, Monsieur, Petit Ah, this is the vintage Petit Pois. And the girl looks at me with love shining in her eyes, see. Petit Pois. <clears throat> so I uh, look even more. Ah, ah, ah. For the dessert, I shall have, ah, uh, uh, see, see, uh, how about the, uh... Chocolat mousse? Hmm, very good, monsieur. Excellent. Pick. Selection is correct. I said, very good. So I picked, you know. I'm sitting there. Oh, I said, oh, ho, ho, no, not yet. Not the yet, uh, Jacques. Jacques, uh, do not go yet. And he says, oh, uh, excuse me, sir? I says, uh, salad. He said, oh, of course, monsieur. you get the salad. Are you you for What kinds of the dressing? I said, I shall have, uh... Oh, I say, uh, Roquefort? Uh, Roquefort. Uh, Mr. Cheese. He says, uh, excellent. Then, was a young lady from Mamselle And I said, uh, uh, the same, you And he says, uh, good. And So off he goes. And now I take the bottle of wine. You like this little scene? It's kind of lovely, isn't it? I take the bottle of wine. It's, they're playing it real cool. And, uh, you know, I'm shooting my cuffs like mad, uh, the whole bit. And, uh... I take the bottle of wine, say we have to see two glasses, and I pour a little wine. And, uh, Of course, I've already tasted the wine; and it is superb. Say, and then uh, I pour a little wine. And I says, Ah, oh, is this wine?" She uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, "It's adequate. It uh, is uh, a little aggressive, but uh, but uh, irrepressibly gay at the same time." And uh, she says, "Yeah." I said, uh, "Very good." See, you know, the trouble with me is that I'm like a flywheel. Once I start something like this, talking like that, I can't stop. I Oh, sometimes I'll go for days just because I started it. I I go through periods when everything I say is in a German accent, you know, just because I went to this German restaurant. And uh, I have a tendency to fall immediately into the accent of the people who I'm talking to. And uh, they, well, they react two ways to it. Uh, One reaction is that... uh, you know I'm, I'm I, I I'm a native say the other reaction is are you putting me on smart guy that's the other reaction so uh, I go I go into this restaurant oh I go to this place called uh, well uh, uh, there's this one called uh, right here in town it's a German restaurant it's called uh, it's called uh, what is it called that your pig's knuckle and so I go into the restaurant there and sometimes I'll say hey right come come are you and he'll come over, and I'll say, what, what is this, uh, uh, with, uh, with, uh, the, uh, uh, what, what is, uh, how is, how is the, uh, how is the, uh, the, uh, oh, let's see, uh, mm-hmm, uh, how is night, um, mm-hmm. see, I like to play, how is the goulash, and there'll be a pause, he said I better have the hausenfeffer. Tonight, I say, how some stuff is it good? He say, it's a, it's a, uh, he say, ah, jawohl. and uh, of course, it, it catches you after a while. The next thing is, grab mach schnell, grab go, 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 go mach schnell there, and uh, that means get on his chick, and so he brings the stuff, and I can't help it. I speak, I, I speak, uh, I speak uh, just enough smatterings of Hungarian. Like I will come into a Hungarian restaurant, and I'll say, ah, your stet kevani sugar time, and immediately. They light up, see. And then I say, uh, Sie English tonight. And, uh, they, they think I'm a Hungarian who's decided to try my English tonight, see. So I get the really groovy uh, Hungarian goulash, you see, instead of the tourist goulash. Either that or I get the tourist goulash. <laughs> the one with a. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sitting in this restaurant, this fancy restaurant. You want to hear the rest of the story? So I'm sitting in the restaurant there, and I sit to this... Uh, this girl I'm with. I said, uh, you, uh, you well, of course, uh, we're having a, uh, we're having a cocaval. Uh, with this chica, you generally will drink a rosé or a dry Chablis, uh, possibly. She said, oh, so your idea of a really fantastic wine was Mogan David. So uh, uh, we're sitting there now drinking the wine and her eyeballs are popping out, you know, and I'm in it big. See, and she's Oh, she, she is like she is made out of porcelain. She's one of these beautifully carved elfin girls, you see. The kind that you don't even think eat real food. You know, they once in a while they'll fly out in the morning and sup at morning glories, that kind of thing, see. So we're eating food, or drinking the wine anyway. And Jacques comes out from the back. It's in the French restaurant, all these people sitting around, very elegant. And the candlelight is going. And Jacques comes out with a sweep. He's got this beautiful tray, a silver tray. And he says, ah, monsieur, the salad, the salad. And he whips out the salad. He puts one in front of me, puts one in front of the check, right? Two salad. Oh, salad. Two. Oh. So, I look at the salad, and he puts this nice little dish next to it of a uh, beautifully, freshly made Roquefort dressing. You could smell the fresh mayonnaise and oh, 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 oh la, la. So, uh, I am uh, sitting there drinking my wine, and see girl, she is drinking her wine, and everything is going swimmingly. Correct them all? All right. And then it happened. I take the uh, dish of Roquefort salad dressing, and I say to the girl, uh, shall I put a little of the salad dressing on for you? Stir it up a little bit. Oh, this is very good. It's especially specialty of the house, you know. Specialty to la maison. <laughs> uh, I take a little bit, and I dab it on the top of her... her uh, her lettuce and beautiful salad lettuce and little tiny sliced radishes and just a suggestion of a little oh, a little scallion here and there and a little, couple of little, uh, uh, little uh, leaves of crushed oregano. Oh, my. And I laid it on there. And so I looked down at my salad and I take a nice little dab of the roquefort and I lay it on mine. And now we're ready to begin Zaladinier, right? I sip a little more wine, and I'm feeling very expansive. I'm feeling just so groovy. At, uh, I, I take another little sip of my wine. <sighs> <laughs> ah, this is the way to leave. Let's... Let's them have cake. Let's them eat cake. And I now understand why Louis XV, fifteenth such a uh, total horses, you know what, It is so easy to fall into the, you know, the feeling of voluptuous uh, high living. Right up there. Ho, ho. Yes. And uh, then I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. Out of the corner of my eye. I am sipping my wine. And I notice a pair of beady eyes. You ever had that feeling of something looking at you? A pair of beady eyes are staring at me from out of the salad. Oh, what is this? And so, without saying a word to the young lady, very carefully, and with a rising gorge, I slowly peeled back one leaf of the lettuce, which was on the top. There was a little friend. He was not actually so little, possibly weighing a pound and a half. It was the biggest, damn, fattest, crummiest, rottenest-looking caterpillar you ever saw. He, I'll tell you, he was the size of the average dill pickle. And he was roughly that shape. He had 26,000 feet, and he had these two big black eyes with feelers. And he was looking out at me from under the lettuce leaf. Oi, oy, oy, come on! Oh. I suddenly realized I had come within an ace of just taking that old salad, you know, and cutting it up and down the hatch. She! Now, say anything, you know, here was this chick and she was Totally, fantastically involved. And she's drinking the wine. And she is nipping away at her salad. And Jacques comes out, you know. He's got the bowl of soup, saying, Jacques comes out. And without... Now you're going to see how continental, how suave and sophisticated we really is. The waiter comes out. And I just flick my eyebrow at him. in that age-old way that we boulevardiers have of speaking the wordless speech to the waiter. I flick an eyebrow, and he comes scurrying behind my, behind my chair. And the heat leans over my shoulder, my shoulder. And I, without missing a beat, I have been speaking to the young lady. I said, uh, Jacques, get this salad out of here quick. Before that little you-know-what reaches out and grabs me by the behind. And he says, oh, she's Charlotte, of course, and more. And he played it real cool. He says, oh, of course, boy. He says, the lettuce leaf is wilted. It's unforgivable. I shall talk to... Oh, I shall talk to Rene in the kitchen. We shall see about this. I am very sorry, mister. I says, it's all right, Jacques. It's a very, very easy to make mistake. And he takes the lettuce leaf, goes scurrying out into the kitchen. And he comes back, and he lays another salad in front of me. And he says, is the lettuce okay now? Is it all right for the, for the gourmet? And I held the lettuce. Of course, there's a test we gourmets have about lettuce. It has to do with what they call the percentile of crackleability. <laughs> so I crunched a bit of lettuce between my two four fingers, crunched. I says, it's, uh, it's uh, adequate. Uh, Is adequate, but it's not first-rate jock. He says, I know, but as you know, it is the middle of the season, and we cannot get the first-rate lettuce, what we saw the problems with Lindsay. And so I said, "Uh, all right. And so I continued to eat my meal. What a narrow escape. A giant caterpillar in my salad in this fine restaurant. And so, 17 courses later... Jacques comes over with that little silver platter upon which is Zeke bill. You know? Yes. Uh, it's, it's a bad news. He brings it over, and uh, he smiles as he puts it down in front of me. He says, "And uh, I trusted you would, you and the young lady, would enjoy a little cognac, or oh, perhaps uh, perhaps a little chartreuse. And I said, uh, mm, "Yes, yes uh, cognac, uh, perhaps." And perhaps a cigar, Jacques. I saw, of course, the more I'm sorry. And he brings me this magnificent Churchill cigar. And I pick up the bill. And Jacques smiles. And underneath, I see it says on the bill, "Courtesy of the house. <laughs> oh, I love that little old caterpillar. I love that little old caterpillar. Ever since that time, I've not been able to say bad things about caterpillars. Yes. Did you like that story? Well, now, uh, I thought that uh, story. I just had to tell you that story. Uh, just uh, just occurred to me that uh, a lot of you people are getting uh, overconfident out there. You get... <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I, you want to hear another story that has to do... You see, as we go through life, I, I've, one of the grooviest, fascinating parts of life is uh, along. You know, you're going through life. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. That Every day, something, in some way, it's one long process of education. Life really is. You learn something all the time. And uh, and at first, you see, you're not aware of this. At first. And then when you're at a certain age in life, when you're, oh, I'd say roughly between 15 and 19, possibly, although that, you know, subject to change, you really believe you know what it's about. You really seriously think you've got life by the you-know-what. And you really know what it's about. And you can't figure out why all these other people, usually older people, keep saying that things are not what they seem to be. What do you mean they're not? They are. You really believe it. (laughs) And then, then, of course, as you get older, you begin to have... Faint inklings, faint inklings of what an ignoramus you have been up to this point in life. And it's just beginning to dawn on you what an unbelievable ignorant slob you are now. Now, the guy that thinks he isn't is usually the guy who is totally that. Really. <laughs> Believe me. And and, and and especially you see it in things like food and stuff. I think in our daily life, you know, when any guy comes up to me and says, well, you know, ah, ah come on, that's ridiculous. I'm a meat and potatoes man. Their friend walks a slob. Anybody who says he's a potatoes man is missing about nine-tenths out of life. You know, he really is. That's the same kind of guy that comes, ah, come on, I don't read all that little print in the magazines. What I like is the pictures. You know? Who does, yeah, and you know, people will often say these things with a truculent pride. As if somehow it's good to be a meat and potatoes man. <laughs> You've heard him say that, you know? It's it's somehow, oh, I've heard guys say, ah, come on, I haven't read a punk since I was in school. What a book, what's a book? It's all so boring. Man. What you're saying about yourself, be careful. Every time you open your trap, a great big fat bluebird, marked Slob, comes flying out. Flies around and does bad stuff on a rug. And so I, I remember this time. Now, I'm going to tell you one of those great... You, each one of us have great moments of uh, illumination. The moment of realization. Now, I came from a house... Uh, Just like most of us, uh, we spend most of our lives trying to outlive our past (laughs) in one way or another. If you're rich, you try to outlive being rich, and you quite often wind up pretending that you're a simple little peasant and you're a really true hippie living on nothing but, you know, beans a week. That's why most hippies come from wealthy or at least affluent families. They're trying to run away from their past. On the other hand, the really poor kids don't buy the hippie scene because that's where they'd be. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to outrun there, see. And this causes a lot of confusion among hippies because they go out and they try to make it with the, you know, they try to make it with the real poor guys. And the poor guys think that's a joke. And it's just the same as if a rich guy walking around in his estate, some fancy place, you know, and he's got these, these beautifully clipped edges and all that. When he finds that some... You know, real uh, bowery bum is trying to pretend he's rich. That's ridiculous, too, and in the same way. And uh, also all of us. And and we can't really ever quite expunge our past. Well, I, my home, when I was a kid, our idea of a really great meal was meatloaf. (laughs) My mother was, you know, a total meatloaf. Uh, That was her whole, her whole thing was based on meatloaf. Now, uh, one, one meal, we would have meatloaf and carrots with mashed potatoes. Then uh, the next meal, we would have meatloaf and peas and mashed potatoes. Then we would have uh, meatloaf and uh, red cabbage and mashed potatoes. And that's the way, you know, it would vary. Then once in a while, my mother, well, you know, with a big, when we'd have a big, like, big holiday, she would make meatloaf with tomato sauce on top of it. You know, <laughs> that was a big moment. Well, there were all kinds of foods that were just remote foods to us. And there were things you read about. And when you read about them, you'd go, oh, uh, you mean, oh, ah, oh, uh. you know, who would eat that? Wow." do you know, that? you know the people, I remember discussions that would occasionally pop up in our house, my mother would say, or my old man or someone would say, do you know the people, they, they actually eat raw clams? Ugh. That would be of course, nobody in our family had ever tasted them or anything like this, but it was just the idea of this was so forget it. And, uh, I'm sure that people who have grown up in a family where at the age of three they're eating, you know, all the way from clams to caviar and the whole bit right from the time they're little. I imagine kids and uh, grown ups in that type of family will say to one another, Do you realize that there are some people who actually eat something called meatloaf? <laughs> <No. laughs> And so, so uh, you see, it's, it's, it's a real experience for them later on in life when they decide they're going to play, uh, you know, they're going to play poor, they're going to be uh, hippie, to actually eat meatloaf, uh, real meatloaf. And that's why, that's why you find down in the village, for example, you find a lot of these places that are selling what they call soul food. Well, soul food is, is really, in essence, poor people food. That's all it is, friends. That's it. That's it. Meatloaf is as much soul food as... Uh, you're great. Real good, jazzy meatloaf, you know. That's true soul food. Mashed potatoes and meatloaf. That's scoffing, man. Uh, and then what you do, another thing you do, I'll, I'll give you an example of true soul food in action. Take a piece of bread that is vaguely stale. Day old bread, right? You got it? Now, that's, you see, now if you're rich, you buy real bread. And then you keep it a day, and it becomes day-old bread. But true soul food, you buy day-old bread because it's day-old bread and it's cheaper, all right? So you get it day-old bread, and it's kind of crisp, you see, uh, and it's uh, stale. Now, what do you do with this? Well, you put it on your plate, and you pour gravy on it. I mean, gravy all over this. Now, if you really, you know, if if you're really flushed this week... You can put on it before you put the gravy on it, you put oleo on it, see? And then you pour the gravy all over it. Salt and pepper, and that is a main course dish. <laughs> now do you agree that's soul food? Yes it is. Now if you really now if if you're kind of a gourmet, you put the ketchup on that. It's really great. Have you ever had, have you ever had, uh, this is a typical example of this type of thing, have you ever had mashed potato sandwiches? Okay. All right, well, uh, I, can, I can cue you in on a lot of this stuff. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I come from a family, we weren't poor, but we were, you know, this is it. You know, we'd eat meatloaf, and once in a while, uh, we'd get uh, pork chops. Uh, that was, that's, that, to me, that, that is always the essence of a festive meal, pork chops. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, pork chops, Wow. And so uh, we'd get pork chops, and uh, once in a while we get the. There was another thing too that we used to get, uh, that was in that same category: pork chops. We would get well, what there's a certain kind of spare rib that you can get, and my mother used to take the spare. And this is a great dish. This is another type of soul uh, a soul type food, is to take this kind of spare rib, you say. Now, they're big ones. They're great big spare ribs. I don't know. They're not like the kind that you get in the fancy joints. These are big spare ribs, see? Eh? And they would be chopped up so you could do this with them. And she used to take these spare ribs and cut them up, big chunks of spare ribs, put them in a big pot, if you got it, and cover it up with water. And then she would take a whole head of cabbage, this plain, ordinary, yellow-type, light-colored cabbage, cut it in half, throw it in with the spare ribs and then put bay leaves in it and she would boil it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, now, I don't know whether you've ever had that in Westport, friends, but that's the way it is. So, uh, nevertheless, where well, you know, this is the kind of scene it is. Now I am beginning to slowly rise in the world. I've uh, struggled my way through the Warren G. Harding school and uh, I'm still in the meatloaf bag. Right. But the one groovy thing about about this world where, you you know, you constantly I think this is one of the fascinating things of America, you know, that a lot of people in other countries don't even think to argue about getting, uh, I suppose you can call it equal rights, because it's unthinkable in a lot of countries. By definition, (laughs) I I mean, I wonder how many of you know this. That's why a lot of countries don't have any trouble. You keep thinking they don't, you know, they don't have uh, problems. They don't have, uh, everybody's got rights. Oh, no. In many parts of the world, and in places you'd be quite surprised to know about, that they're, that people are born in a certain social strata, and that is where they are. It's like being born uh, with uh, web feet or something. You got it. That's the end of it, see. Well, here in America, it's very different. And uh, so uh, the idea of, you know, rising out of this meatloaf world is just sort of automatic. You try to do it. So... Anyway, the groovy thing about going to school in a lot of ways is, how do anybody notice where you came from? <laughs> you're all in this place. I was going to college. And, uh, and uh, of course, I was barely scraping on man. It was tough. So I'm hanging around. I got this one suit and like, this one sport coat. And so uh, I got to know a couple of chicks and people there around. And, uh, I never talked much about things. And one night, this girl, a uh, very elegant girl with long blonde hair, Asked me, she says, uh, would you care to come to dinner tonight at my home? And we're having a few people over, and I think it would be kind of fun. I said, yeah. You know, I'm always uh, very glib with my ad-libs. Yeah. So she said, that, well, uh, hey, have you ever been out to the place? And I said, no, I haven't. And she gives me this address in this town where the school was. And I knew nothing whatsoever about it. So I said, okay, I'll be there. And she says, oh, don't bother to dress or anything like that. Uh, Just, uh, you know. I said, yeah, fine. I didn't realize the import of this at the time. Don't bother to dress. I mean, uh, (laughs) don't bother to dress. So uh, that night, I put on my uh, J.C. Penney sport coat. And uh, I put on my Sears Roebuck pants. And uh, I've got on my new shirt. Uh, You know, the one with the uh, pearl buttons that light up. And uh, I've got my tie that my Aunt Glenn gave me for graduation from high school. And so I go walking down, cooling out there towards this place. Well, as I walk, the houses got bigger and bigger, and the lawns got broader and broader, until they were so big, the lawns, that you couldn't see the house anymore. And you you, you knew you were really in the big time when the house was so far back on the lawn that you just saw nothing but trees and this winding driveway. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, Anyway, to make a long story short, I now join the gathering in this fantastic house. Oh, wow. They had had white pillars in front of the door, remember? And uh, they had this big brass knocker. And they just go, bunk, bunk. It was shaped like a lion. And you grab this thing and you drop Clunk, clunk. And this guy comes and opens the door. And uh, I say, I'm invited to dinner. Of course, come right in. And uh, in, in I go. He said, shall I take your hat? Your hat? You know, your coat, please? If you took my coat off, you know, nothing. So I said, no, it's all right. So I walked back in through. I followed him. And now I'm in this room. And these people are all standing around. There was about maybe 15, 20 people. And here was Nancy, this girl, and her sister, Dolores. But Nancy was something else, man. And so... Here's Nancy. She says, oh, Gene, how wonderful you could come. And so she came running over, and she kissed me. See, uh, this was not in my straight-up society. One doesn't do these things, you know. This whole idea of just running up and kissing somebody. Now, you know, we had to have a big thing like a game of post office or something to, to pull that one off. And she kissed me. Oh, how good of you to come. And she kissed me. I said, yeah, hi, Nancy. And, uh, she says, here, would you care for a drink? Uh, James, please. The, with that, James comes over with a big tray with the drinks. And the, there are these tall, skinny glasses, you know, the long, tall, skinny stems. So I didn't, I had never really held one of those glasses, so I grabbed it and it tipped over instantly. <laughs> and down it goes, all over the floor. She says, oh, I'm sorry. And with that, you know, everybody's brushing and all this running around. And so James says, excuse me, sir. So he brushes off the furniture where I spilled all the goo-goo all over it. So I take another one of these things, and I'm walking around. It's a martini, thing. So I had never had a martini before. Our, our family, the only thing my old man used to talk about once in a while, drinking, He, only, the only thing he ever talked about in the way of actual drink was, he used to say, uh, how about some booze? Now, now we didn't ever have any actual names for it. It was just called booze. And uh, used to uh, Then he had a thing once in a while when he was really putting on the dog, as he would say, he would have a thing called a highball. Now, a highball means you, you put... Booze in a glass, and then you pour over ginger ale. That was that was what what a, what a highball was. So I've got this thing martinis, and it tasted terrible to me. See, I tasted it tasted like I was you know like I drink some kind of strange chemical. It tastes like chemicals. It's said, so, Wow! I had this little olive bobbing up and down there. Well, I like the olive, so I reached in, I took the olive out, and I crunched it. It was the first olive I ever saw in my life. Then had a uh, an almond in it. So all new things were opening up already, Saying, little owl. it was stuffed with an almond. So uh, I'm walking around with these people, and suddenly they all move like a herd of cattle. They say, oh, it's time for dinner. Ho, ho, ho. We move into the next room, and we're all sitting down at this big, beautiful table, white tablecloth, and a crystal and linen and all that. And I sit down, and, gee, you know, food, I don't know what, what's going to happen there. And then it came. Nancy, sitting next to me, she said, uh, she said, have you had had any uh, of the fresh escargot this season yet? I said, what? I I said, well, yes, uh, yes, it's a good season. (laughs) You know, (laughs) faking it all the way. And the next thing I know in front of me is this plate of something which had always been rumored in our house. that people somewhere, someplace, ate. And we never really believed it. And whenever it was mentioned that they ate these things, it was universal, oh, ugh, a plate of snails with the little forks. I oh, my God, snails. Snails. Ooh. And instantly inside of me, you know, my, my meatloaf insides are immediately saying, oh, ugh, oh, my God, this is all fantastic. And Nancy, she takes one of the snails. She says, oh, these are so wonderful. She takes one out, and and I see how she does it. She takes this little fork, and she fishes one of these things out. And it comes out, and it looks strange. You know, it's like a little black snake or something. See, She pulls it out. She goes, oh. And here was this beautiful girl. Well, what am I going to do? I can't chicken out, see. So I says, oh, they look very good. Uh, (laughs) I take the little thing, and I'm I'm feeling sick inside my little fork, and I fish it out. I put it in my mouth. I go, Oh, my God. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. I tasted this thing. It was so good, I couldn't believe it. Well, now, you know, then I went the other way. I made a total pig of myself. I went... I ate all the snails up so quick. I mean, they were gone. And then the... I looked around. I saw all these other people. They've been doing this all of their lives. They weren't surprised at snails. And then it began to sneak in on me. What other terrible stuff did I learn at home? What other things do I think are awful? Just because it was back in the kitchen that way, you know? I ate the snails. And late that night when I got home, I'm laying in the dormitory room. I could feel them snails. You could taste them. You know, there's an aftertaste. And I I began to suspect that night. There was a fantastic, unbelievable world out there. And I was just beginning to taste it. Just beginning. God knows where it would lead.